Well, I mean, first I'd be thinking, how do we engage this Mark guy? He sounds pretty awesome. That goes without question. I'm going to put your number in. I'm going to start getting phone calls at 3 a.m. from random people now. Thanks. Uncaged Wisdom, Cheetah Digital's podcast for modern marketing. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Uncaged Wisdom, the podcast for modern marketing practitioners. Today, we are joined by travel loyalty guru and fellow double barreler, Mark Ross-Smith. Mark has run airline loyalty programs, consulted and advised across airline, hotel and telco industries, and is currently CEO at statusmatch.com. This conversation focuses on a recent blog article written by Mark entitled The Magic of Loyalty, which can be found on traveldatadaily.com. Also, playing the role of Kayla, we have Steve Arsenault, Strategic Account Executive for Cheetah Digital, specializing in the travel and hospitality industry. Enjoy the chat. Thank you very much for joining us today. Say hello to our lovely audio listeners. Hello, lovely audio listeners. This is Mark from Malaysia. It's great to be here. This is normally we start off with an icebreaker question, and that's Kayla's domain, but I think Kayla's Mr. Flight or something. Um, so I'm going to be handling it today. From a traveling experience, what's been one of your most favorite places to visit or, or, or something that happened to you in a certain place? So I have traveled a lot and lived in Australia for most of my life and traveling to Europe and North America quite a lot. And a lot of time I'd always fly through Asia to get there as the stop, as the stepping stone to, to sort of get there. And I'd always be traveling through uh, Hong Kong or Singapore. I'd never stay there. I'd just, I'd just be there for three hours, do the transit, spend a couple of, you know, drinks in the lounge and then continue on the flight. And I don't know what is about it, but there's always been something magical about Asia. Eventually, um, you know, I, I had a business time, I sold that company and I thought I needed to leave Australia and go to one of these magical places. And so that's actually what led me to Asia. Um, you know, I lived in Hong Kong for many years. Uh, now I'm in Malaysia. Uh, that, that's what brought me here is this, this magical feeling of traveling through these airports. I, I really couldn't put my finger on why. Um, but, you know, anyone that's sort of been to Hong Kong knows there's a, there's a lot, there's a magic in the air there. There's a vibe about it. It's got this sort of east meets west uh, type feeling. Um, and it's just, it's just a great sort of melting pot for business and ideas and travelers. Now, before we talk about sort of the, the main piece today, uh, the magic of loyalty in, in travel and hospitality, could you tell us a little bit about your, uh, your career and how you obviously you ended up in, in your current state today and a little bit about status match, please. My travel adventures started taking off in about 2006, uh, my business partner and I at the time, we had, we had a social network in Australia. And so this was about the time where MySpace and Friendster and Facebook really just sort of come in evolving as social networks. And so we thought we'd, we'll start a social network as well. Uh, it was growing a lot. And as part of that, I was, I was sort of the face of the business. So I was always traveling around the world. So obviously being in Australia, all these conferences, they're all long haul flights to get there. You know, it's just sort of at least 12 hours to get to North America. It's a bit longer to get to Europe. And, you know, being Australian, I was flying Qantas quite a lot and long haul. And after a while, I, I started meeting management in the airline because I, 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 I guess I got to this point where you become a little bit more important to the airline and they, they want to know who you are and what you're doing. And suddenly I got invited to some events that the airline was running. And so I sort of got to meet the right people. And I, I thought, you know what, if I'm not doing this social network, I want to work in the airline industry because this is really cool. 
This is really cool stuff. And so that's what really sort of kickstarted it all. Uh, so w- when we sold that social network in 2013, suddenly I was unemployed. <laughs> and w- what do I do next, right? So back up bags, moved to Asia. And I thought, I'm, g- I'm going to get in the airline industry. I, w- I was already in loyalty because I was doing so much in loyalty with telcos already in Australia. And we were making, we were really on the uh, retention side, reducing churn with a lot of telcos in Australia. And I thought, how, could, how can I apply some of this startup experience and the telco experience in the airline industry, because from being a passenger and having status on multiple airlines for a long time, uh, you know, I could see I could see ways they can make money, but they just they just weren't doing it. I don't know why, but they, they weren't doing it. So, you know, fast forward a few years, um, immersing myself in that, and you know, sort of come along, and suddenly I'm running the Malaysia Airlines loyalty program, and that's what we started doing there. We started uh, I started running it like a startup. I thought let's just let's just make as much money as we can. And Malaysia Airlines, you know, is always in this position where it's, it's not known for making a lot of money, or not being very profitable, um, always after that sort of next, next line of cash. And that's what we did. We, we just sort of focused on the money. Uh, how do we create new products? How do we create new things that just don't exist that people will pay for that can be beneficial for the airline and for the loyalty program? And then if we fast, fast, fast forward past that again, uh, obviously now I'm back in startup world again, running a company statusmatch.com. Uh, which helps airlines and hotels acquire new high-value customers. We'll be linking to your 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 blog piece and hopefully stealing a couple of graphics directly from there so people can uh, help inform the conversation we have today. This is what the piece you wrote recently, The Magic of Loyalty. In the piece, you talk about the art and the science, which in many ways are a bit contradictory but important segments uh, uh, of any loyalty program. And how could you help... Uh, sets up your thinking around this and maybe we could break down a couple of those uh, those moments my thinking on this has evolved over the years so i'm a bit of a geek i'm a i'm a airline and numbers nerd and you know if you read my blog especially the earlier posts all about data all about how to make money out of data machine learning algorithms all this sort of stuff how to create a propensity model it's, it's all numbers, numbers, numbers stuff. And then if you sort of following, following my journey there, it sort of softened a little bit and it's got into more what I call the art of loyalty, um, the emotional side of it, which, um, you know, having gone through this journey, I've, I'm really realizing it's probably more powerful than numbers if, if, if you get it right, if you get this emotional side of it right. And so that's why I sort of split them all. I call, I call the business and the numbers side, the science of loyalty. And the emotional side, uh, the the art of loyalty. So the science of loyalty, and how I describe it is, it's, it's the business side. It's the cost of running the program. It's you know, it's the loyalty platform. It's the CRM. It's the operational expenses. It's the stuff that you just need to run a great loyalty program. You ha- you have to have it there, yeah. And the the art of loyalty is is how the money's made. So that's where the incremental uplift or revenue or frequency increase from uh, purchase of the customer come from uh, the arts where the marketing and brand messages sort of begin to shine. Um, you know, I, I read recently that 95% of all transactions in the world are based on something other than price. So it's convenience or urgency or something else. And these sort of non-transactional factors are, are largely emotional decisions for us. You know, we're emotional creatures, right? It's like you, you, you don't go buying a BMW because you want a four-cylinder car. You know, you, you're buying a BMW for, 
purely for emotional reasons. There might be something else driving it, but it's not, it's not a price thing, right? Unless you just had to have a BMW. You know, it's, it's, it's something else driving, likely driving that decision making. There's no logical reason to buy one, right? Um, so the, the question then becomes, how can brands create more of these emotional connections that make up such a large part of the decision-making process that the transactional element or the price becomes largely irrelevant in that process? How, how can brands create that position? And that's going to look different for every customer. So figuring that out is uh, part of this whole emotional makeup in the art of loyalty. And that's what I call the magic of loyalty is the outcome from that. That's actually when the transaction happens and then figuring out why it happened. Ultimately, we want that magic of loyalty in airlines hospitality because we want to make sure that uh, with the relationships you build, when someone decides to fly, they fly with you. When it comes to the, the magic of loyalty, really, is there a better place of it in action than in airlines and travel? It, it, it is almost the perfect bedfellow. It totally is. It absolutely is. Think how many times you've flown, you watch your movie on the plane. It's a long haul flight. You watch your movie. Have you ever noticed... You might get a little bit more emotional watching that movie. Some people, some people cry during movies that you wouldn't other normally cry, and it's it's a happiness thing. It's not a you know the sad. It's it's a happiness thing. It's you know it's it's the combination. You're traveling somewhere. It's something new. You've got people around you. You don't know. It's the it's the air pressure. You know you've got all these different factors contributing to this fact that you're in a slightly different emotional state at that point. And when you're in a different emotional state, there's other factors that can then sort of be. Uh, I'm saying injected into your lifestyle at that point, into your sort of sphere at that point, uh, messages at that point, and you, you could start associating different emotions with that airline, right? So they could be positive or, or negative. For example, if you're a um, top tier customer and you're, you're boarding the aircraft and you're in the back row of the aircraft, you're in, you're in the middle seat crammed between two large people and then the, the cabin supervisor comes down to you before takeoff and says, Julian, welcome back. You're our most important customer on the aircraft. Thank you so much for flying with it. Here's a glass of wine from business class, right? That moment, that small moment, right? Is so, it's so tiny. It's, it's basically free. It's, it's so powerful. You feel good about it because you've got two people next to you that are seeing this whole thing unfold in front of their eyes as well. Who's, who is this guy? How come he gets this and I don't? You've got the, it's such a small, powerful moment that you instantly in your head, you'll associate something really good with that airline. And when that is repeated consistently over and over and over and over again, people actually start to fall in love with brands. That's how they do it. It's these small things repeated over and over and over and over and over in positive ways. Um, and, you know, when people sort of fall in love with the brand, um, they don't think twice when they go to book a ticket. They won't go to OTA. They'll go directly to the airline website. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll sort of have that, that the correct behavior of, a, of, a, of the perfect customer. So, Mark, you're, you're talking a lot about the emotional effect and, and what that has the impact on the brand. But, you know, years and years ago, we really started to focus on the money that comes directly from the program. I mean, I think it started with Air Canada spinning off part of the aeroplan uh, program. And we see it now with the U.S. Airlines collateral collateralizing their programs. Do you think we've kind of gone too far away from the emotional? Do you think we're getting too much into the financial impact and it's becoming all, all science and no art? I think all these years of 
building up this emotional side, we'll call, we'll call it goodwill, building up the goodwill in these programs. And now the programs are cashing in on it. They're cashing in on it through arguably saving the airlines through all these, um, you know, capital raisings and, and sort of the, the transactional base. So it's sort of like, I explained like, it's emotional input, transactional output. So now we're just seeing the fruits of all the amazing stuff that, you know, loyalty teams have been doing for decades all around the world. So I think building on that, to continue this financial success, I think programs need to continue to invest, maybe even double down on the emotional side of it, because it's clear that it's working. It's a bit hard to connect the dots until something actually transpires in the market. Um, but now we're seeing that happen. I think that's solid evidence that loyalty teams can go back and say, you know what, let's let's start reinvesting in this again. Let's, let's double down on it uh, to really help the airline really help the program really help the customers let's let's sort of bring magic the romance back to flying again no i i love that statement emotional input transactional output because i think that um that's something even a, the finance people can understand mark help me help me understand so you, so you when you were doing the the air malaysia loyalty program did you run all of that? Did you, did you set that up or did you help sort of navigate them through the setup? Oh, God, no, I, I didn't create it. I, I, I came in, the program had been running for 30 years before I came along. I just brought a different flavor to the program. Yeah. You know, it, it's sort of been running as a traditional sort of, like most Southeast Asian airline programs, there's nothing wrong with them. Um, they, they work, they just could be improved a bit. And so, you know, we brought a different flavor to what we were doing. We Oh gosh, we did a lot of cool things. We renegotiated a lot of the, the partnerships. Um, we brought in some new things that are not quite out in the market yet. Um, kind of cleaned up a lot of what they had there already. Um, you know, because a lot of like working in some of these big companies, you're, you're, very, you're in this bubble all the time. And, you know, me, I, my whole career, I've been sort of traveling around the world, attending events and conferences. And I'm a big fan of these attending events because I, I feel that's the best way to learn. You get to talk to people at the top of their game. You get to see new people, new cultures, hear new things, you know, sort of networking around the events as well, where you get to sort of sort of off the record type stuff and you start learning more. You, you can't learn that when you're sitting at a desk every day, you know, and, so, and it's not that someone tells you something you could copy. It's that you have this conversation and then someone else comes in, they say something else. And in your mind, you connect the dots and boom, there's this spark there. There's this sort of eureka moment. You go, why don't we do X? And you go try X and boom, it, it works out. I mean, the reason I was, I was, I was starting to go down uh, just that quick little side route is people listening to this today, a mixture of people who are probably specialists in the art and people who also have to worry about the science, you know, as in making sure they got the right technologies in place. So are there competing forces at work in, internally when it comes to developing loyalty programs? Because you have to have the right technology to do to really like make sure that the best ideas in the art happen. If you're coming in fresh to this, setting up a program from scratch, you know you, you need to get the strategy right first. Yeah, I'd start with that. I, before you go down the art road or like the platform side, I would start with the strategy first. Figure out what you're trying to achieve. And then make sure that aligns with the financial and non-financial objectives of the organization. And once those sort of, we'll call them railroad, like railroad tracks, right? Once that's set in place, then you can go along and build the stations along the track, build all the, the flowers along it and all the sort of pretty stuff. Um, Cause you need that, you need that foundation there first because I mean, you don't want to be in a position where you, 
you change a program or you launch one in five years time, it's like, well, this is not really working because this over here costs us this much money, but we can't prove how much it's made over here. You know, you need that foundation. You need the strategy, right? You need, to be fair, you need management on board. You need, you need, you need from the top, you know, you need the sea levels on board a hundred percent behind the longer term strategy, because it's not necessarily going to pay off in six months. Now it could be, could be a couple of years, depending on the industry, what type of program and where it's going. Um, and, you know, it's not always about points and miles and statuses and stuff, but there could be some other business objective that's trying to be trying to achieve. And so that's why that initial strategy piece is, is so critical um, just to understand where the business wants to go uh, and getting it right. And then, you know, on the back of it, you know, having, it's almost an ad for Cheetah here, but you're getting the right platform is, is super critical as well because you need a platform that, you know, can support your growth through it. You know, if you're going to triple in size of your business over the next two years, you need someone that can sort of go along the ride and support your growth through that. You know, you're going to have new ideas, new features, new all sorts of new stuff that you're going to want to create that time. And you need to, um, you know, have partners that can, you know, that, are, that want to come along for that ride with you. People have lived this. This is a nice thing about, I think, with, with loyalty programs with airlines and, and actually hospitality as well. But most of us have had that, that moment where, you know, you've been hooked in on one way or another when it comes to travel and hospitality. So in, you, in your blog, um, you talk about the two examples. There's one that has been the program owner, which is actually, you know, following on from like, you, you know, your experiences as, as, as running the Malaysian Airlines one. And then also as a flyer. So Steve, get ready because I'm coming to you for this in a minute as well. But Mark, starting with you, as either a program owner or like as a fly yourself, what was a really good example of, of, of when, uh, when that magic in loyalty like really sort of landed from an experience? So one of my most memorable times with Malaysia Airlines is, um, that's a bit of a story here. So Malaysia Airlines office is, is next to the airport at KLIA, which is about an hour away from the city. And that's, that's where the office, that's where I work basically. And so to come to come back home every day, I I catch a train, but I go through the airport because it actually is very fast, efficient, right? So basically walking through through the terminal um, to, to get back home. And, you know, I'd leave the office at you know six or seven o'clock every day, and you know got a bit of time to burn on your way back. And and being a total aviation geek, you know, I'm you can imagine walking through a terminal day. It's kind of fun, right? Uh, as a geek, and and you kind of want to do stuff, right? You, and so there'd be every week I tried to have a different theme of something I would do on the way back and all sorts of different stuff. And the one I wrote in the blog was, there was a, there's a whole week I decided to um, give out chocolates to random passengers. And this is my own initiative. I didn't talk to anyone about it. I bought the chocolates. It's in my own time. Um, I literally went to Godiva, bought, you know, a bunch of box of chocolates every day hunted down some, you know, silver, gold, platinum members in the program, uh, wherever they were, airport, boarding flights or whatever. And I'd just be like, you know, just, I, I, it was very random. I'd go up to them and just say, you know, I mean, I'm dressed up. I've got credentials and name badge and everything looking very official. And like, you know, thank you, Mr. Da, 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 um, for flying uh, with the airline today. Uh, we really appreciate your business. This is for you. Uh, have a great flight. Simple as that. No cameras around, no media, no nothing. Just, just me, just being a total nerd. And I, I had a lot of fun doing that. Um, you know, the reactions that were coming from the, the guests I was, I was talking to were, I, I can only describe as, you know, these moments of joy. It's totally unexpected, uh, somewhat emotional moment, 
Uh, there was one gentleman I, when I gave it to, he said, uh, Mark, I've, I've never met anyone in management from the airline. I've been very loyal for many years. Um, this means a lot. Thank you so much. Uh, went on to tell me about his story. He was flying to India at the time because he, he was uh, as a doctor. He was working in um, some sort of medical thing over there. And, uh, you know, we spoke for a while and, and he had a great flight. Um, and hopefully that's a story he shares as well. And th this idea, so when I was flying as passionate, no one gave me chocolates, <laughs> but it would have been nice. Um, if you're listening any airlines, I would like chocolates. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like, I've, I've had that experience of being on the other side of it as a passenger. And I'm thinking, what would I want? What, 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 what would be cool uh, in, in my experience as a passenger, and then since I was in a position to be able to do something, I did it. And it was sort of just just, just a, almost passing it on, you know, passing the goodness on to the world. Brilliant. And uh, you taught me a, a word we're going to come on to in a minute, which uh, sort of captures that in its, in its bundle, and I, I love a good word. But Steve, actually, coming to you, maybe we could do it as, as a flyer, um, you know, on the other side. Or actually, if you've got, a, you've been in the industry as well for, uh, for a good number of years. So if you've got um, a, a, an example of an airline or maybe something you experienced yourself of, of, of this loyalty moment happening. Yeah, I have kind of an amazing one where um, I was flying out of Tokyo and we were in the middle of a monsoon and we sat on the ground for four hours and it was really clear that I was going to miss my connection Boston to Philadelphia and about half an hour before we landed somebody came on um, one of the flight attendants came over and said you know by the way you've been rebooked uh, from an American Airlines connection to a JetBlue we hope that's okay and somebody will be at the, the gate to meet you. And I get onto the jetway and there's a person standing there and she walks me through uh, customs. She helps me re-tag my bag. She has my uh, onward boarding pass that's been reissued. And um, she directs me through one of the TSA security lines that's shorter than the other at this time of night. And I um, said to her, you know, this is, like I've been doing this for 30 years and I've never had service like this. And um, she said, well, we can actually afford to take really good care of misconnected passengers. We don't do it very often. And I just thought, <laughs> you know, the old expression of it ain't bragging if it's true. And it was just such a wonderful service. And, you know, to this day, I appreciate it. I had actually been to that airport to that airline um, on that trip. And the first thing I did was I sent an email to the vice president of marketing telling him like what a wonderful experience this was. So, you know, these magical moments that you do remember really do happen. To sort of tie those both examples together. So how do I say it, Mark? Because you wrote it in your blog, it's, it's Eugen. Is that, do I pronounce it like that, Eugen? Or what's the, the pronounce, pronunciation? I think it's Eugen, 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 Eugen. Eugen, yeah, that the word means the subtle and the profound. So these small moments, and in our case, we're talking about small moments that, Steve, you know, that wonder that came across your face when you're like, actually, someone was like really looked after me here, that, that a brand did that for you and sorted you out in a, in a yeah, in a profound way. How, how do you even attempt to join that up? Is it more like, is it, do you try and do a, do you need passionate people who are thinking around these ideas? Um, how, how do you try to like sprinkle them in? I don't, I don't know if there really is a magic formula. It's just 
experience perhaps? I think this is where it comes down to having the right people in the organization, really passionate people that are, uh, are there because they love what they do and they're not just there for a paycheck. Um, what generally, at least in my experience, what happens is those people go above and beyond. You know, they, they hang around later after work, they do extra things. Uh, and if you, if you try to put a structure around what these people do or what they can't do, I think you lose some of that magic. Uh, so in, in a lot of ways, you need to empower these people to be able to go out and create these small moments of joy for customers. Um, because the magic really is in the non-structured approach to it. I really love, love the chocolate story. And, you know, Julian, just as kind of a sanity check on Mark, I think when he was running the Enrich program at Malaysia, he was known in the industry as the program head you were most likely to run into at an airport. I guess the, the holy grail to me is, you know, can we use technology to make that scalable? Can we kind of do what you were doing, but do it at scale? Start to get more input from customers and kind of give them those surprise and delight moments when it, when it really matters. Steve, building on that, I think if, there's, if there was a way to, um, if there is say, a list of a, a hundred things that could go wrong or have gone wrong in the airline or, or hotel, any, any business, yeah? And then if there was a way to sort of look at each one of these things and go, if that happens again, what could we do to turn it from a, not just a bad experience to a, a mind-blowingly amazing experience? Not just a great experience, not just here's some miles, hope you're happy, but here's, you know, here's some miles. By the way, there's a Rolls Royce outside to take you home. And inside there's three bottles of champagne and the CEO of the, like something so overboard that it just overwhelms the senses. You know, something like you're not making money on these things, right? <laughs> something so, so, so big, so spectacular that it, you know, it blows that small thing way out of proportion. That, that person's going to go tell someone or two or three or four or five or six. It's a great story. And you know what? I think it's also a great story for internally for the culture of the business, you know, um, I wouldn't necessarily put, you know, cameras everywhere and try and make, make an ad campaign. I wouldn't necessarily do something like that, but um, you know, going back, sharing it with the company, just say, by the way, last week we did this for our customers. And you know, I, th I think there's a really great sort of culture story there about helping empower other employees to do similar things. Out of all the industries that have probably been hammered the hardest, it is those in travel airlines, travel and hospitality. How do we approach trying to work out what's next? And I know this is a silly question because it's a bit crystal balling, but I would, I'd love to hear your perspective of, of if you're an airline at a strategy meeting right now, how do you start planning for what's what's going to happen next in the next six months and 12 months where we go from being completely locked down to people traveling again are people the same i think if there's something we've learned over the last 12 months in specifically in travel industry is that especially airlines there, there is very little resilience built into the business models that is that they all have dependency of people getting on planes checking into hotels traveling locally, going to bars, restaurants, tour operators, that kind of stuff, right? It, it's, it's all, it all starts with someone getting on a plane. And if that stops, the rest of the sort of travel ecosystem breaks down because there's no resilience built into it. So I think if, if we look at that and then 
you know, I come from having a, a few startups as well, some very successful, some not so successful. And there's something I've built, I've learned there is that it's okay to pivot your business model. It's, if something's not working, it's okay to say, look, it's not working. Let's try something else or let's double down on what is work. Let's triple down on that, right? So flying isn't really a thing right now in some parts of the world. So instead of focusing on that, put all the staff resources on stuff that is making money. Cargo is doing quite well. How else can you make money out of that? Loyalty is doing extremely well. Um, it, American Airlines last week announced in 2020, they got a $2 billion EBITDA from, from the American Advantage program, right? Two billion bucks and the suppressed demand of flying. I mean, that's huge, right? So why not, why not put more resources into the loyalty side of business to pump that up, create new products, create new tiers, subscriptions, do deals with telcos and, I mean, I like telcos, right? With telcos and car companies and bring that brand out, not, out of the, the travel world and put it into the real world because the real world's still happening, right? Even though people aren't flying, bring into the real world, bring that brand into real world. They're doing great credit cards. And I think that's a, that's a big step, you know, in, in the right direction. And when you go bring that brand into the new world, you can create new products, new ways for people to engage with the brand uh, and, and new revenue models will come out of that. And when new revenue models come out of that, it creates a more sustainable business so that when, if there is more tough times in the future, they can ride it out more. Steve, just actually, because you can share a bit with Mark, because I like a bit of knowledge sharing and you guys, I'm sure, have chatted lots uh, before and currently anyway. But um, just from some of the conversations you've been having, because I know that um, airlines have have been reaching out to you to see, you know, how you can help, well, how we can help um, next. But just generally, have you noticed any sort of trends of, of, of the way their head's at right now and in, in trying to approach post-COVID life? Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously everyone's talking about the recovery and in particular, how that recovery is going to happen, how fast and how big. And I think the extent to which business travel is going to come back is, you know, you can find a forecast saying it's going to come back quickly and fully all the way down to forecast saying it's never going to come back. But everybody agrees that leisure travel is coming back faster, that there's an awful lot of pent up demand there. And that those can often be the customers they know the least about. Um, any suggestions, Mark, in terms of how they can learn more about what these people want? I mean, how do they know what my pent up leisure demand is after I've been traveling on business for 20 years? Yeah, this is really interesting, Steve. I think that for a lot of customers, the profile looks a little different now than what it did two years ago. You know, you've been traveling 20 years on business. You're always in, in business and first class. And suddenly, you know, maybe you've changed jobs in the last year. A lot of people have in the world, a lot, like a lot of people. And you change jobs. Maybe your, your profile of your engagement with an airline or a hotel changes a lot as well. Maybe you're flying to different destinations. You know, maybe your, your new company has agreement with a new hotel chain and you're kind of forced to stay with certain people, you know. Uh, maybe now you've got uh, some autonomy on, on, on your budgeting. Maybe you can put expenses on your own personal credit card and get reimbursed for it, whereas previously you couldn't, which means now you're in the market for a new credit card. You know, there's all these different factors, um, of, of the profile of people changing a bit. Uh, so figuring out where people are in their journey of life. People have had children in this time. Like, things have really changed. People have moved countries. You've got sort of the expat community, um, people living out of country suddenly 
the, the jobs are gone, which means that the, they don't have a visa to stay in that country. They're now going back, quote, home again. Um, that's big dynamic has changed. So I guess it's about how do you find these people where they are in their life right now, what product may or, or may not work for them right now, and how do you align with that? Um, one thing that we do, I mean, we, we focus on status matching and making money out of status matches for airlines and hotels. And what we've seen is it's, um, it, people take up status matches is a demand indicator. So it's, it's basically, here's a bunch of here's the thousands of people that are doing a status match with an airline. These are the people most likely to fly next because these people are, I mean, we, we do a status matches as a service where people pay for the match, right? So that there's a financial investment, which these people, the chances of them flying in the future are super high, super soon because they've they put real money on the line. They're, they're taking a bet that they're going to use that in the next X months kind of thing. So that's that's like another indicator of which people to target and what kind of things to, to, to target to them. So I think it's about understanding your customers, understanding, looking at the data that you have on these people, um, sort of bring it up to date, you know, make sure it's relevant, um, not 2019 data that may not be so useful these days. You know, where do these people live? What are they doing? How, what country, they, state are they living in now? Uh, what's their financial position? Have they got a new job? You know, there's all sorts of stuff I think you can look at, but it all comes down to, to the data and the strategy that you put behind that. Real. Mark, you sort of mentioned it there to end, but people can find all, all about uh, Status Match on the website, right? And I, I don't want them calling you at 3 a.m., but they'll, if they wanted to contact you, I, I imagine there's an email. If you can email me, mark at statusmatch.com, uh, my blog, travel.daily.com, all the articles there, it's all free. There's no ads. It's You can sort of get insights and all sorts of stuff that I publish up there. Mark, there's one last one, which will, uh, this is another one you're thinking on your toes and to be honest, you've already given us a lot of a lot of wisdom, but here's a bit of uncaged wisdom for anyone listening that will help them in any area. So I'm in Malaysia, obviously, and it's been rolling lockdowns here for the last 12 months, a lot of lockdowns. When you find something that you love doing, that you, you're passionate's the wrong word, it's not a strong enough word, but when you find something that really brings joy to your life, I think just double down on that, whatever it is, no matter what it is. And so for me, I'm an airline geek, obviously. I like sort of elite statuses and stuff. And this whole business, that's how it was born, you know, from, from two perspectives. It was on, on one hand, um, being a, a traveler of the world, you know, I, status matching is just a really terrible process for every, every airline in the world. It's a horrible process. And I want to fix that because I have this startup mentality, right? And then from an airline perspective, um, you know, I, I ran status matches and the airline was pretty terrible, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so I kind of wanted to fix that. So I've got this sort of geeky side of me. I, I've just, it's always been in my head. I had to solve it. It's just one of these things I had to do. And so for me, that's, that's me following my joy. That's me following what I really would really sort of sparks a light inside of me. And so I, I guess what I'm getting out of here is, um, it's so cliche, but yeah, follow follow what what sort of that burning desire inside of you, because no, no matter what it is, it has a funny way of always working out for you if you continue to follow that. Brilliant, love it, Mark. Thank you, thank you very much. I hope uh, hope it was all right today. I'm going to stop recording in a minute, but you have to say goodbye first. Bye, Joy. Bye, Steve. See you guys. 
Subscribe to Uncaged Wisdom for the latest and greatest in digital marketing insights and how they're solving problems with software and strategies.